Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life Live. Today we're looking at the Lord, sacred scripture, life and faith. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. Here with me, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey Curtis. Thank you for confirming. I was suddenly like, is that what we're looking at? And I felt reassured by your presence there. Uh, if you are reassured at all by the presence of this show, like and subscribe is the point. Hey, if you're enjoying the content, this is the way you can show it and really help us out. Thank you so much for everyone who's doing that. Leave a comment, let us know how you're doing. Today, we're gonna to continue our journey through the basic nature of everything. Yeah. We're gonna go over everything that life has to offer and do it in the way that Swedenborg initially described it. So today we're looking at the four teachings or the four doctrines or whatever you want to call them. Uh, so to get warmed up for a task like that, I think we should do our customary icebreaker exercise. Okay. All right. Okay. So Break deep that breath ice. in and let's go. Okay, this is where we just need to get a little bit warmed up get our, and get our mind out of this sort of practical day to day, I'm trying to get this thing done and get us ready to con contemplate some of the okay. the big big picture stuff, right? So yeah. let's see if we can do that here. The question is for you, what are the ingredients? This is a simple, easy one. <laughs> for you, what are the ingredients for a spiritual way of life? Perhaps a little foreshadowing of what we're gonna get from the four doctrines. Mm. But what's it take? Hey, I wouldn't mind, that sounds good, a spiritual way of life. If someone said, do you wanna have that? I would say, I wanna have that. Yeah. So, what does it take to get there? What do you think are the, the components of that lifestyle? Yeah, it, it's a complex uh, answer forms in my head, but yeah. I'll try to break it down to a couple of pieces. Just one thing I think is like your daily sort of food, like taking in spiritual nourishment of some kind, okay. reading some spiritual literature or yeah. prayer, meditation, that type of, a little, time set aside uh, from the normal daily crush that you were just talking about. Yeah, kind of like Swimwork says that you know, the truth corresponds to water, so this would be sort of staying hydrated. Yeah, that's right, hydration, that's right. And then uh, the second thing would be, then as you go out and do your daily march, you know, how are you treating people, just self-observation, sometimes some review at the end of the day or something like that, just to see, and a certain amount of sort of biting your tongue or you know how when you have a, in baseball a, a pitcher and a catcher and the you know they're communicating with each other about yeah. the type of pitch and uh, the catcher will communicate and the pitcher will just say no I'm not doing that I right. think it's wrong uh, some of the spiritual practice for me is just like something suggests something to my head and I just go no not doing it not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but the complexity is more that there are so many pieces to it. It's something I'm thinking about every day, like all the time. What are the ingredients? What would be a more spiritual way to do something? So there's kind of an infinite answer in there somewhere. No, and I've used that that technique you shared about that. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Not going to mm. do it. When your head says, "Hey, this is what we'll do next." I love that thing. So. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm thinking of building on it in, in a couple of little ways. Um, definitely thought, thought policing is yes. something right, right, right. That, that well put. Is, is how I process stuff that leads to a spiritual life. That's because my particular mind is very unruly and likes to run off into all these thoughts that are, that are detrimental to cultivating this sort of peaceful, what I would call a spiritual state. So sometimes it's just waking up 
and realizing, oop, I'm way off track right now. Like, I don't need to be deep in the weeds of some kind of competitive uh, ego, outward facing mm. thing. Another, another time, though, it's, it's about not having too much mental laziness, meaning, there's times when I just need to recreate. I've been thinking about, let's yes, say, Swedenborgy right. stuff for a long time. I've been, you know, taping this show, and I need to just relax, look at some video games, something like that. But, but going for too long where I'm not really taking the time to sweep negative things out as they come in, that that certainly is important for me. And like you said, go go to the spiritual source. Mm. If, if it's if it's a Swedenborg, if it's some other kind of teaching or sacred text, doing that regularly because you can try to think your way by remembering things into that sphere. But I do find encountering that material that will get me up. But it kind of does, yeah, loads different thoughts in your head, doesn't it? But it's just it's just a um, it's just a part of it because there are other things that I can. There, there are things that seem much less spiritually that have got to be there, like a certain level of tidiness, a certain level yeah. of um, fastidiousness that I'm going to do things in a relatively orderly way. If I'm just letting all my little responsibilities around the house or whatever atrophy, it's very hard to get clarity of mind and things. It's one of the amazing things about Swedenborg's um, system is that really there's a way in which like, you know, dealing with your socks or <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. is part of your spiritual life. You know, it can all be part of it because of the reason why you're doing yeah. what you're doing. And it's so hard to tease apart because Swedenborg gives this really holistic picture of life where everything can relate to what's spiritual. And it's hard for me to know where where does the spirituality end, where, where does the just like organized uh, self-improvement start, and how much is necessary of each. I really, my, my answer to this question overall is, I don't quite know, and I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. That, really? Then let's, then really, let's I think that's that. a good, a good yeah. yeah. But we're trying to piece together things that I can see. I can, I can picture in my, my mind, I know what my ideal life would seem to be. I spend this much time doing this. I do this this much. I don't do this. But that shifts, and again, the coolest thing that Swedenborg says is that I don't actually know what I need. Yeah, that's right. And an obvious element that I kind of left out, although it's implied in the prayer, so sure. is some kind of, uh, you know, resorting to a higher power, angels, you know, yes. thoughts of the Lord or eternal life is another one I think about quite a lot that let you get tangled up in this. Like how important is it going to be 10,000 years from now? What, yeah. What's the important thing? Uh, some things are important on that yeah. kind of scale. But they sort of emerge, like, did I treat people well, or you know? Right. But but whether I paid six bucks or seven dollars, or what, you know, yeah. that's not as okay, important. Okay. I know we can't spend our whole time on this question, though. I would like to. But what you just said there reminds me of uh, shooting the moon. So in heart, in hearts, I'm sure I've made this, right. this this analogy here before. But there, you can play a card game called Hearts, and you're trying to get as many hearts as you can. And spades take points away. You're trying to get as many points as you can. But there's one strategy you can do. It's called shooting the moon, where you're trying to get all the spades. If you get your entire hand spades, <laughs> right. you can win the game. And I think, to me, you can't really get that far spiritually if you're mixing ego-driven stuff and actually the Lord's the only one that's cool. If I'm trying to get wrapped up in my self-image, when it's going well for me, it's got, I really only feel spiritual when I'm really saying, okay, no, I'm not really invested in how well Curtis is doing. I'm just, and it, you don't always do it because it's very easy when 
things are going well for you to say, forget that stuff. I'll just ride this wave while it lasts. So yeah. anyway, tricky, tangled stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, hey, if you guys have your own thoughts on that, write them in the comments. We'd love to see what, you know, what's a spiritual life to you and can you give us some tips? Because obviously we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> no offense. Okay, let's move on now to talk about the four teachings. So we're continuing here in our series of going through what I would say is everything, touching all the major places in life. That's right. Because that's what I feel like Swedenborg has done. And but we want, we want to give you this series to give you an overview of everything Swedenborg. And really, we found the best way to do that is to go through how he released all these ideas. So to actually look at the books he put out and look at what, what do they mean, what ideas are in them, why did he release them, give you some metadata as well as getting into the spiritual food itself. So what are we looking at today? Mm. Well, these uh, four doctrines or the four sets of teachings. I want to say, as you pull those up there, I'm glad that you're here with me today because these are some of the Swedenborg's books that I am the least familiar mm. with. I've read them all, but not a million times. And I know you are super familiar with them because you're deep into writing an introduction for That's the deluxe true. version. So I'd love to learn more from you as we go along about what, cool. what the heck we're talking about. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I turn them sideways, you can see they're, they're skinny books. They're skinnier than Swedenborg's other works. Yeah. You know, when we're talking about heaven and hell, that would be bigger than all these put together. Right. And this one, as you can tell from up here, Sacred Scripture and White Horse, has a ringer in there. White Horse is not part of what we're talking about. We just threw that in because it's also about Scripture. Bonus. But uh, the four that we're talking about are the Lord, sacred Scripture, life, and faith. Four sets of teachings that Swedenborg was talking about. And how he actually titled them, these are sort of our short titles, but all of them have some version of teachings for the New Jerusalem on the Lord. You know, the New so Jerusalem being? The New Jerusalem, he explains early on, means this new church that's about to happen. Yeah. You know, in other words, there's a new religious era coming, and these are teachings for that future. Yes. You know, he's not talking to people who are already there now. It's like it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's building for the future. Yeah. It's aspirational, you might say. This, yeah. is, this is for the, the group that has yet to come. Well, and you, 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 you may have heard the phrase new church flying around Swedenborg in circles, and this is the idea that there's a new spiritual era coming toward us, and that this right. is sort of what we're all aspiring to. He's given you how to make that happen in a lot of ways in these books. Yeah, absolutely right. And... Uh, so I don't know if this is the time to talk about the headline or something. This is exactly like that, the time. Let's play. Do. What's the headline? Yeah. If you were to to boil it down, what's going on in these books? Well, I think um, I think it would be uh, new cornerstones for Christianity. That that's a headline that comes to mind. And we're gonna have a world debut of some content right here because. Ooh. True. So Dr. Jonathan Rose is writing an intro for these books for the deluxe edition that's coming out where he's breaking ground on what they mean and why Swedenborg was doing it. And this paragraph is from that intro that's not released yet. So you're getting the exclusive right. world sneak peek at this. My editor hasn't even seen this yet. <laughs> he's going to be mad so, if he sees this. These four sets of teachings, small as they are, can be seen as four vital cornerstones 
on which this new religious edifice is to be founded. What else would or could be more important for the launching of a new religious, and specifically Christian, understanding than a new understanding of God and the nature of Jesus' divinity, a new understanding of the Bible and how to read it, a new understanding of the importance of living a religious life and what that life entails, and a new understanding of what faith is, how we acquire it, and what it does and does not do for us. There you go. The edifice, I like the edifice. Anyway, there you go. That's <laughs> what we're looking at here. And what would happen were you to get excited by that introduction and actually break into these books? Let's take a look at some table of contents material mm. here. So, <clears throat> this is table of contents in the Lord, uh, which is... First of these four. Yep. So, he, so you see his, his titles are not sparing. He tells you everything that's going on <laughs> in that section. But you have the entire right. sacred scripture is about the Lord and the Lord is the Word. To say that the Lord fulfilled all the laws, to say that He fulfilled all the Word. So on and so on. You see very Christian sounding terminology. Very Christian sounding stuff. Look at that number four. The Lord did not take away our sins by His suffering on the cross. What? Yes. That's really basic Christian teaching. What do you mean he didn't take away our sins by his suffering on the cross? But he did carry them. Sure. What does that mean? Well, and this, you know? this mm. rolls right into our next section, uh, why and when, because the, the very Christian, every, all of his stuff has a Christian flavor to it, but the extra Christian stuff, uh, there's a reason for that. So let's talk yeah. about where this comes the, on his the timeline. The why and when. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So... Uh, it comes at a very interesting juncture in Swedenborg's works. If we can see the timeline, we had Secrets of Heaven that we talked about sure. in the first one of these episodes. Then we had Heaven and Hell that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And in another show uh, earlier on, we did the shorter works of 1758, yep. which were in there. Now we're in 1763. And what's very interesting to me is that these works of 1763 are really kind of a reset, yeah. like you rebooted or something. It's same same computer, but you're you're rebooted yeah. kind of thing. He had he took even though he was um, 75 years old when these books came out wow. at a time when the average life expectancy of a Swedish male was 37 years old. Um, so he was no spring chicken. So he was like he was 200 years old in today's terms. <laughs> in dog years or something. <clears throat> For five years he didn't publish anything. Yeah. Between 1758 and 1763. Yeah. And when he started publishing again, instead of those thicker books of Heaven and Hell, or the really thick uh, Secrets of Heaven, mm -hmm. he's doing these thin, you know, one of these is only 23, Faith is only 23 pages long in the first Latin edition. Yeah. Uh, much shorter works, uh, more biblical quoting in here. Yeah. And he's publishing in Amsterdam. All the things before were published in London. So he shifted... His approach has changed quite a bit. Yeah, and you were and you were saying that these books could almost be defined by what they're not, or what they're saying does not exist. Yeah, that's right. In a sense, if I pick them up again, um, the Lord is saying there's not a trinity of three separate persons in the Godhead. Yeah. Actually, Jesus is God all by himself. Right. And he even get, is so bold in there as to rewrite the Athanasian Creed and crazy stuff like this. Yeah. If you just tweak it a little bit, here it can go. be true. But here, I'll, I'll, I'll fix that up for yeah. you. It's amazing. And sacred scripture is, there was a, especially in the Lutheranism of his time, there was this phrase, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And there was a big emphasis on the literal sense of scripture. 
And he's saying in here, no, there's a deeper, there's a, it, it's not just what meets the eye. There's a whole deeper layer to it that's really important. In life, he's saying, you know, there was this, this uh, rumor going around that you were saved by your faith alone. If you gave your life to Jesus, you know, you yeah. said, said, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for me. Didn't matter if you were a good person or were nice or charitable. Yeah, Jesus died for that. Like, yeah. it, it's, you're okay. You're covered by his cloak of merit and, you right. know, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, Swedenborg says in this one on life, oh, no, the, the way that you live is crucial and actually affects yeah. your faith. And he goes through, here are some steps of repentance that will help you amend your life. It's a very practical book. In fact, of all Swedenborg's works that affected me the most, I would say this is the one that really changed my oh, yeah? quote unquote life, yeah. you know, like it, it really <laughs> got to me. And partly because it's short enough that I read it on this, I was in England and I rode from Cambridge all the way up to Scotland on the train. Yeah. And I read the whole thing in the original Latin in a facsimile first edition <laughs> on the train yeah. It's like, it's short enough that even in Latin you can read it on one train ride. Like kind I'm, of thing. I'm uh, reading Nicholas Sparks. What are you reading? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's... And let's, then on faith... Oh, yeah, right. ...is like faith by itself is not saving. In fact, faith is not even real until you pair it with a good life, with compassion and, and how you treat others and stuff like that. So it's quite a... Yeah. It, it, it's quite an axe at the root of, of existing Christianity, you know? Yeah. But like Swedenborg always does, even in his discussion of existing Christianity, he gets into this mystical, cosmic, crazy structure of a spiritual reality. Yeah. And we'll be diving into those comments in just a second, but we thought we would start by giving you the first and last things. Oh, that's right. He says in the entire series. So, uh, yeah, let, I'll, yeah, I'll you take the last, last one, one, Life here? and Faith? Okay. All right. Well, how does he open, because these are sort of came out as a set, how does he open the whole thing? He definitely presents them as a set, by the way, you know, okay. even though it, he, he even refers to them as the four sets of teachings or the four okay. doctrines. Right, right. And so they were kind of a subgroup within his works. And there isn't really anything else quite like that in his works where it's, hey, these four kind of go together. Okay. Often back in his day, the first editions were bound together physically as, okay. as a set kind of thing. And so I think it's fair to, to treat them as a set. We are like not going to get any lawsuits from Sweden. No, on no, this I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, so here's the heading. We already saw it in that, that sure. table of contents, but it's worth thinking about. The entire sacred scripture, so it's interesting, this is the one on the Lord, not hey. the one on sacred scripture. Did I buy the wrong book? Yeah. The entire sacred scripture is about the Lord, and the Lord is the Word. So really, at its deepest level, scripture is all about Jesus. God. And so that's where yeah. he starts, and he leads with a lot of scriptures in this book. Okay, and he wraps things up. And so you know you're in Christian territory, you know you're in Bible territory. That's right. Like it's right from the get-go. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Spade a spade. And I can talk right. about all these cards, tricks. and You're going to find a lot of Christianity in these books, which that's might right. be a total plus, or it might be like, wait, am I really want to oh, be there? Yeah. But let's see if we can show you more of what, what the spirit of and everything is. And I think is. it's really cool that he wrote to, you know, he wasn't just sort of a one-stop shop guy. Yeah. He wrote, you know, he wrote Divine Love and Wisdom in the same year and has hardly any scripture in it. Yes. And it's a lot of philosophical reasoning right. and very accessible about nature and creation, cool stuff, you yeah. know. So he was able to change it up for different audiences. Well, and because like we do in this show, all these different types of programming, because there's the, the reality he describes is so multifaceted. You can't right. just stick it into one box. No, one, one, one box can't hold it. So th at the end, 
he's actually gone on this diatribe against people who do the faith alone thing or say that all that matters in life is that you belong to a particular religious club, maybe you recite something to get in there. That's not true, because this was what the whole of Europe around him believed at the time. He's saying, that's not true, and that's going to get you in trouble spiritually. In the afterlife, I see that belief causing people harm. But then, at the very end, he gives this caveat on that. Make no mistake, though, this is what people are like when they convince themselves of faith, faith alone in both theory and practice. Oh, and practice. Okay. It does not apply to people who turn their backs on evils because they are sins, even though they have heard and believed that faith alone saves. So you're saying, even if you've bought into this whole mindset that I think is wrong, what it's really about is love. And if you act like a loving person, if you don't do things that are harmful, we can sort the mind out. You're going to be okay. What really matters is, do you love harming people or do you love helping people? And I, you know, what do I know? But I think there's a lot, a lot. of a yeah. lot of Christians in our world who are in that second group. These are, you know, wonderful, wonderful lives. They're, yeah. are not not sort of saying, okay, I can do any sort of criminal thing and that'll yeah. be fine. You know, sure. Uh, so they may believe that they're saved by their faith alone, but they're actually living as though their works count. And that's you know. that's a core of the whole Swedenborg thing. Is that okay? Religion occupies a place in the mind, but it's it's just uh, window dressing compared to what you love and how you treat people. That's what it's all about. Let's take a look at some quotes from inside here to really get at what makes the four doctrines or the four teachings so powerful. We're actually going to have four bites this time because we had four books and we thought That's we'd right. give them each a nibble. Seems silly to leave one up. Yeah, and these are, these are fairly representative of the kind of things that you find in there. First, we want to look at what has not been known about Jesus's, Jesus Christ's process. And this is from the Lord, which Swedenborg uses the term the Lord to refer to Jesus Christ, but also acknowledging that that's God and there's a whole other thing. But he says here, It is common knowledge in the church that the Lord conquered death which means hell, and that afterwards he ascended into heaven in glory. Yeah, standard kind of Christian fare. The church knows that. What the church does not know, though, is that the Lord conquered death or hell by means of battles that are tests, and in so doing also glorified his human nature, Mm. and that his suffering on the cross was the last battle or trial by which he effected the conquest and glorification. That's very cool. He makes this interesting distinction that took me a long time to sort of figure out what he was saying. That the, the, the cross was more about glorification than it was about redemption. Mm. Uh, a lot of people think that what Un- Jesus... Unpack those terms for me. Yeah. yeah. What, the people think that what Jesus was doing on the cross was redeeming us from our sins. Somehow he was like getting rid of sin for us yeah. or earning so much merit that he could sort of cloak us with that and then we yes. wouldn't b- look bad to God the Father Essentially, super angry God, angry at human beings, something Jesus does makes God say, okay, for your sake, I'm not as mad just because of what you did. That's right. He's saying that's not the case. And so that's viewing the cross as redemption. Okay. Then there's this other thing called glorification, which is really uh, his transformation, his becoming fully divine. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he was born with divine father, human mother, according to the Bible story. Yeah. But this is like, whew, he cooks off all that human or transforms it right. so that he's 100% divine. Yeah. And that's what, was, what the cross was going about, was it was a test 
that the final test, you know, the hardest kind of temptation, and he won and succeeded, yeah. and so he rose from the tomb with the whole body. And another fascinating point that Swedenborg makes is those kinds of tests that Jesus was going through are just a really amped up version of the little trials in our lives or the, the, the struggles that yes. we go through, that actually Jesus was forging a path through hell that we all follow with God right there with us moving through and really the, yeah. the, the human nature glorification was part what it was trying to do was make this route back to heaven available to all of us. Yeah, he wasn't heavy. so much doing something that we never could do. He was actually showing us how it's done because yeah. he said, take up your cross and follow me, right? So Bam. it's something we're supposed to go through too. All right. Well, hey, since we're talking about the, the things he said in the Word or the Bible, let's, let's move on to the sacred scripture. All right. Sounds good. Another point, as I was saying a little earlier, in sacred scripture is that the Bible has a spiritual meaning. Now, if you've been around this show before, you may have heard this idea before that thank you for the coming back. Bible actually has a spiritual layer of meaning that's quite consistent through you know Genesis to Revelation or whatever. It's it's uh, it's in there and uses the same kind of language. And he's got this definition in Sacred Scripture number five, which I love because it's a negative definition. Okay. <laughs> you know, you'd say, drum roll please, the spiritual meaning. So here we go. Yeah. The spiritual meaning of the word is not the meaning that shines forth from the word's literal meaning when we study and interpret the word in order to confirm some dogma of the church. Now that's deep, but I think yeah. what he's saying is if you come in here already knowing the answers, then you're just going to try to find them in yeah. the text. He wants you sort of empty, right? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't the Zen things, you yeah. know, empty your cup yeah. first so that you can, you can receive. Well, and is this something, the phenomena of people going into the Bible, picking out some quotes that suit a harmful idea that they have, using that to say, look, the Bible says what I wanted to say, you all get out of the way. Is that something we've lost to history or is that still being done? Have you had that done Maybe. to you? Okay, just saying, he's saying. Could be one or two that's not instances. We cannot see, he goes on, the spiritual meaning in the literal meaning. We can't see it. So you might think you see it because, oh, that's what my church teaches. You know, look yeah. at that right there. He says, you can't see it. And then he uses a bunch of interesting analogies that sound like maybe you could see it. Yeah. It is within the literal meaning, the same way the soul is within the body. Well, I can see you can't necessarily see the soul. Thought is within the eyes. Well, sometimes you look at someone's eyes. Wait, what do you think? You know, like, yeah. like you, you think you can tell. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Or a feeling is within a facial expression. That one I get. You can tell that happiness can be inside a smile, and that, that's really actually a poetic way to describe a nuanced relationship between two different things. You know, so I like right, that right. one. Right, right. I like it too because you can tell somebody's going through something. Yeah. But you don't know if somebody's grimacing. You don't yeah. know if they're just like they, you know, they're right. fighting through it, yeah. or they're really getting angry, or you yeah. know, you, you don't or always know what the content is right. exactly, but you know there's something inside. If there. their foot hurts or their finger or what it is. Yeah, 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 what is it exactly? That's right. The two act together as cause and effect. It is primarily this meaning that makes the word spiritual. Like what is, what's spiritual about the Bible if it's just about people in their journey or something? Right. Like what's spiritual about it? It's the spiritual meaning that makes it spiritual, not only for us, but for angels as well. So by means of this meaning, the word is in communication with the heavens. 
And that starts to get into, we did a show called What the Bible Is a long time yeah, ago, where that's right. we're looking at the Bible as almost like a piece of spiritual technology, that it can do things like connect heaven and earth. And it's right. because of this. It's not because of the external story. It's because of what's under that. Yeah, what's in it. That it's held in there. That's right. That's right. So, uh, moving on from that, you see how, how vast these subjects are that he's tackling, but he just hits Man. them in this concise boom, way. You know, those skinny books, but bang, yeah. bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, he's really hitting it. I'll give you the tent poles of, of existence. So now we move on to life, and we want to look at here how we really connect with the Lord and with goodness itself. Mm. So this is getting much more into the, the behavioral and, you know. That's right. Here we are. Life coaching. To the extent that we turn our backs on evil deeds, we are with the Lord and in the Lord. And they're focusing on deeds rather than knowledge or belief. Belief or, or yeah, acceptance or something, right. And to the extent that we are in the Lord, the good deeds we do, and this is the Swedenborgian wrinkle, he always adds this in, do not come from ourselves, but from the Lord. This yields the following general law. To the extent that we turn our backs on evil deeds, we do good deeds. Mm. He talks about the fact that a lot of people think, well, just go out and do good deeds and then don't worry about your bad habits or something, you know? To make up for it. But he's like, yeah. no, better to take care of that first. Yeah. You know, in Isaiah, uh, what's the quote? Now, cease to do evil, learn to do well, right? Yes. Like it comes in that order. Yeah, well, you know? you know the feeling. If you hear about somebody who's run a Ponzi scheme or done something horrible, but they were also giving to charity, yeah. you never feel like, well, that cancels it out. You yes. always, it always makes the giving to charity no, that was just fraudulent. A, yeah, that was just a front to try to cover. For, yeah, that's, right. that's how it works. And that somehow doing this, you know, st stopping to do evil enables you to do good more easily and forms this connection where the Lord is actually working through you to do good things, to, you know, give to the charity while you're hurting people. It's obviously not God, but when it's consistent all the way through, that's what we're saying. It's actually God reaching out into the world. That's right, because if you're just coming from that other place, you can hardly help but have self-centered reasons for whatever you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. You are sort of no offense. In, in some kind of a scheme or something. Yeah. But if you really get that stuff aside, then the Lord can just flow through and inspire your heart with something that wasn't there before. Okay, so what's the last one? What do we got in faith? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got faith. And this is about how it's an essential ingredient that makes your faith real. It's as if you can have sort of faith that's kind of fake or faith that really becomes real. Can't and believe it's what not is faith. that ingredient yeah. that okay. makes it real? He says in Faith 19, there can be no faith, here it comes, without caring. What do you think caring means there? All, like also loving uh, people, treating them well, stuff yeah, like that, right? The, yeah, unfortunately, yes. And caring without faith, like, like they both go together. Yeah. And faith without caring is like the breathing of the lungs without a heart. Now, I suppose if, if you had a dead body, you could sort of artificially get the lungs to expel air and bring, you know, Doesn't there's no anything. life in there. And I just want to pause for one second and say, we're deep into theological territory. We're talking about all these religious stunning things, but yet we're bringing the human form and anatomy into it. Swedenborg just can't help sewing different parts of life together. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I can't leave it alone. This is impossible for any living creature to, you know, to breathe but have yeah. no heartbeat. Only an automaton could do it. You could have machines that, yeah. Uh, yeah. or something. You know. Or uh, your Zumba could do it. Caring 
without faith, so here's the other side of the equation, is like having a heart but no lungs, in which case we would have no awareness that we were alive. If your lungs shut down yeah. for some reason or what, you know, you can still have a heartbeat but not have no consciousness. Yes. So caring does useful things by means of faith. It's such an interesting definition of faith, mm -hmm. the way the heart accomplishes action by means of the lungs. And he's not just drawing a metaphor for fun. This is an actual correspondence and so interesting to think of the nuances in the difference between the two. That Without the heart beating, you're gone right away. But you could, lack of oxygen takes a little while longer to do you, and so the faith has to be there long term, but for a little bit you can get through with just charity. It's mm. just fascinating to think about how much you can learn from, from the living example you're sitting inside. Yes, and this just seems like classic Swedenborg. Like, you can tell, can't you? Like, it, it's still Swedenborg that oh, we're yeah. dealing with. He may be doing things shorter, yeah. you know, more focused works and so on, but. But that's still him. He's doing the whole analogy thing, and yeah. and uh, that's right. He's so, still at it. All this said, as I mentioned before, you are spending your time during the day writing an introduction to these books, for, for now anyway. Why do that? Why publish these? How can these books help the human race? What can they offer? Well, you know, his, his other books... Um, get into interesting things like other planets or heaven and hell. But it, if you're talking within the Christian, you know, circle or something, yeah. there's really nothing more foundational than these. I mean, mm. they really are like the bedrock. Yeah. Uh, what, what did he ever do that had like the Lord? You know, that, yeah. <laughs> like you can't get more direct than that in a title. You know, yeah. and so, and they're just wonderful. They're so punchy because I think he had to make them shorter. Yeah. There was horrendous financial inflation going on. There was a war, huge world war going on actually. And, and so I think he just honed it down like, bang, we just got to hit it hard. And as you were testifying to, these can be powerful ideas if you translate them into the language that your mind speaks for making life change. You were saying the book Life gave you this insight into right. how to have a spiritual life. So these things aren't just to give to a bishop and say, change the church. Yes. This all, like we're saying, Swedenborg can't help but bring the relevant stuff in there. This is something you can take, apply to your life, and find this, the new church in this big thing that's out there, it's in everybody's heart. This is the quickest way to get that, understand mm. what it takes to get that church in your heart. That sounds like, let's just publish it, you know. Yeah, we might as well keep publishing. We'll foot the I bill think, for that, I think, no I problem. Think we'll, I, would, I think we'll keep going. All right, so let's uh, let's take a little break now and do a little bit of question and answer. Uh, we've got a couple questions that people have asked during the week here, and we'd love to catch up and just see if we can't leave them disappointed. So Great. let's get going. Excellent. Okay, let's see what's been on people's minds this week, and we'll begin with Liquid Gargoyle, mm. who asks, how is it possible that Swedenborg did so much different stuff? <laughs> Written books, different professions, fields of interest. Did he sleep? Where did his funds come from? So we've got two different, like if we're gonna sit around and make a show about Swedenborg this and Swedenborg that, we know we're not f sitting here focusing on the person for the whole thing, it's the ideas, but how did he get around to getting all these ideas out there? And what does that tell us about him living his spiritual life? Mm. So 
Talk, talk to me about the funds first. Yeah, okay, the, because the funds do sort of make a difference. Yeah. Um, he, his mother died when he was only eight years old, I think. Okay. And uh, his father remarried the following year. Um, he had a lot of brothers and sisters, and this brave woman, you know, sort of, okay, sure, I'll be, I'll be stepmom to this whole family, and, and she really loved Emmanuel. He had a great relationship with her. Great relationship with her and she left him sort of an oversized portion of her inheritance. Like she really loved him okay. and gave him a bunch of money, interest in some mines and things like that. Okay. And so that was able to give him enough income that he could really pursue these things. He wasn't having to just, uh, you know what I mean, yeah. put, put well, bread on the table. And he of. was always kind of upper class, like his father was a bishop. That's right. He, he was in the, the group of people that often weren't having to work hand to mouth. That's why That's he right. was able to get so well versed in all these fields, study at these prestigious universities, because he was kind of in that world. Yeah, and his property was no Versailles or anything. Yeah. You know, it was just 1.2 acres, but but he still had a nice little plot of land there with yeah. a garden and a house, and, and he had a, a, a gardener, and then the, the male gardener, and then the gardener's wife was his cook, and okay. he had a couple of cows and vegetables growing in the garden and stuff like that. Yeah. But, and so people were struck by what a simple kind of life he lived. Even when he would travel, he wouldn't take a servant with him. He'd just travel alone. And yeah. it, uh, so he kind of lived a simple life. But being in the nobility, he had access to all that. Mm -hmm. You know, he was part of the government. And so uh, funds were not a... He said, I have enough. At one point he writes in a letter that I have enough and I really don't want anymore. Anymore yeah. would just be troubling to me or something right, like that. Right. So he seems satisfied with the funding that he's got. But, but he just seems to have been born with a natural genius. Like from an early age, he seemed to get into a little bit of everything. You know, yeah. he's writing poetry, he's doing, he learns music and, he, he, you know, he's got this restless mind, I think. Yeah. And not knocking anything, but back in the day when he was operating, it was much easier to be doing well in a number of fields because the fields were not nearly as developed <laughs> no, as they are today. That's right. Today, the smartest... Just anatomy or something. Yeah, yes. right, right. You could sort of get on top of it in a couple of years or something. Exactly. The, the, he could be almost the best in like four or five major disciplines. These days, the smartest of the smart can only cover a tiny little slice yeah, of underwater right. robotics or something like that because we've developed so far in the last couple hundred years. You would, it's not like Swedenborg, you know, there, it's argued that he had a very high IQ historically, but I don't think anyone's saying that if he were alive today, he would be at the leading edge of all these fields. Of all these fields. I think that's absolutely right. He might be really good at one thing. And what's, he lived at a time when you had these, what were called Renaissance men or yes. um, uh, polymaths. Uh, w he wasn't the only person who was sort of interested in a lot of different things. I mean, yeah. Priestley, who discovers oxygen, is also a minister, I believe. Uh -huh. And it, you know what I mean? People had different yes. different things going on. And, and um, uh, But I still admire how... He seemed to be very open-minded and willing to, okay, I'm going to dive into the whole mineral thing now. I'm going to go crazy with right. that. Oh, now I'm going to do the whole anatomy yeah. thing. You know, okay. Now I want to learn about botany and plants and yeah. uh, it does seem philosophy and all kinds of things. Sure. So he had the right, the right mindset for that. It does seem, a lot. another thing that tends to amaze people about Swedenborg is the volume of work that he was able to publish. And particularly, from what I've heard, in his theological period or spiritual period, just how much he was writing. Even though we yeah. talked about a break he took 
to at his age to be able to output that much stuff at pretty much as a solo act, there may have been some kind of uh, spiritual upgrade to him. He talked a little bit in some of his journals about being able to see better than he used to be able to see. Is that that's correct? That's right. That's and, right. And he's, his diet like simplified significantly when he really got into things. He, he was at one point just doing like coffee and bread and milk. Um, yeah, and there's some stat that uh, I, I came across the other day that between the ages of 12 and 60, if you took every single, you know, how many pages did he publish, which yeah. he was publishing from the age of 12. He published two poems when he was 12 years okay. old. He started publishing other things at 19, 21, 22 and so on. If you took all that body of material yeah. uh, over the 48-year span, then from 60 to 68, there's just eight years, a sixth of the length of time, yeah. he equaled that same output, like after, yeah. which is after his spiritual eyes were open. You know, yeah. In other words, he just started cranking out stuff yeah. like he never had. I do think there was kind of an upgrade, and I think what it was was just that once his heart became so fixed on, man, I love this, I feel so passionate about yeah. it, like 24-7, you know, that's, that's what, it. It, yeah. it literally, you say, did he sleep? You know, I mean, even in his dreams, he's sort of, well, I had this experience, and this taught me this, and it, like, yeah. it's round the clock. And not only is he publishing all that stuff, but he's journaling everything else. You can read his journal spiritual experiences now, as we do. He was re recording it once, then thousands turning it into... Thousands of pages. Yeah. yeah just crazy, crazy. I'm glad he did. I appreciate the yeah. work. The work was uh, not wasted. Okay, thanks, Liquid right. Gargoyle. Let's look at the Great next question. question. Yeah, so this is from Pete Dawson, who asks, is it possible that those who have had a near-death experience find themselves in a different sphere than those who pass over permanently based on the variety of experiences they have recorded? Hmm. I certainly think so, because the world of an NDE seems to really be focused in some ways on the duration of it. From the ones that I've read, there's this whole build up to the point where you have to go back, it's not your time yet, and it seems that people come back affected in a very particular way by that experience that it almost seems like it was designed to shoot them back out into life. And does Swedenborg seem to offer any kind of uh, hmm. support to that? You know? It's interesting that it, it, is, it fascinates me that in NDEs, everybody seems to know whether it's their time or not. Yeah. I, I mean, the other people. The angels. In your experience. Yeah. yeah they, it's not your time yet. You know, they, they're yeah. clear about it. And often the person says, I want to stay. This is the most awesome yeah. thing I've ever experienced. Uh, mainly what I've thought about it in the past is an interesting thought of whether they're in sort of a controlled <laughs> environment or something. The main thing I've thought is that uh, there's so much more after that. I think it may be the same kind of experience because it's quite similar to what Swedenborg experienced when he experienced the death process before yeah. he actually died. You know, he went th through his own kind of near-death experience and wrote about that. And it's quite similar to, to the near-death experience that people report now. And this was way before that started being written about in the same way as it is now. Uh, but... Uh, I love the fact that Swedenborg will take you into, and what about a month later, and yeah. 30 years later, and yeah. how about 10,000 years, you know, like right. the, the big picture, because I think uh, they only see so far, and I've also gotten the sense, I don't know whether you agree, but that uh, often what people experience in near-death experiences uh, seems to be in, in pure correspondence, you know, like even though they don't know correspondences necessarily, yeah. They'll say so-and-so appeared blue or so-and-so was carrying a bow or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So they seem to be in a correspondential part. 
yeah. of the world of spirits or something. And just tack on at the end, it's interesting that you say everybody seems to know when you read a near-death experience, they'll be talking to you. Sometimes it's a loved one that they recognize. Sometimes yeah. it's a, some kind of being of light. Yeah. But it's never that they're talking to that being and the being is saying, great, it's so great that you're going to be here. Now let's get going. And a third one comes in and says, wait, wait, sorry, I didn't tell you this, but you've got to go back. Everybody does seem to know. So it's right when you come in, something about your sphere. Right. You, the people know you're, you're on a, a visitor visa. Uh, uh, yes, right. You're not a resident. Not a resident. So no, does that right. change how they affect you, and who knows what's pulling the strings of where you start, where you go from there. Mm. According to Swedenborg, there are all these angels that part of what they do is shepherd people in from the world to That's heaven. That's right. So wouldn't there be a group industry. of, like there's, a, there's, a, there's a, some you know, set of like spiritual Silicon Valley that's sitting there saying, okay, this person really has this idea. experience, so we'll set up this thing that gets them in here and build this uh, you know, web of thought and feeling and then get them out and, and watch their life and make sure it works and refine our techniques. There could well be something like that. I never thought about it that way. It's a really interesting question. Thank you, Pete Dawson, for the question. Let's take a look at the next one. Bill Quag asks, please explain how innocence aligns us and allows heaven to pour into an individual. Mm. We just did a News from Heaven series about innocence uh, not so long ago, beginning of the month. And within it, I was shocked, even as I was you know, reading that stuff in the show, at just how much importance is placed on innocence. And here you also have a Swedenborgianizing of a term because we generally think of innocence as naivety or... That's right. Did I say that? <laughs> that would be a naive thing to do. Um, <laughs> or not only that, but lack of experience or, or you're just, you, you don't understand how things work. But he's saying it's actually something that people like you and I who have lived for a decent number of years are just about the same number of years, are still trying to get towards, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think of it as being a function of a kind of openness, like what the innocence yeah. that you see in childhood is a kind of, wow, what's going on here? Huh, I wonder who these people are. Oh, look, there's something neat. What is that? Put that you in know, my mouth. There's kind of a, right, there's kind of a, there's, you know, you're not marching into a situation saying, I know what all this is and I know how this works and I know what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, the, there's that sort of humility and, and openness. And I think that's the sort of attitude when that's spiritual, when it's a spiritual openness, heaven can pour in, you know, because your ego's in the right relationship to the other parts of your mind or something, if that's yeah. a way of saying it. Well, if the, two, if the greatest enemies of our spiritual development and our heavenly happiness are a sense of self-importance and right. pride in your own intelligence, right. innocence, in one definition Swedenborg gives, is a willingness to be led by the Lord, which in, holds within it the willingness to ascribe to the Lord credit for things. So when you do something right. that seems great, you think, this was God giving me the ability to do that thing. That giving up the credit for things and acknowledging something outside as better mm. and that you are just trying to help serve mm. the purposes of that thing, that has got to be the opposite of pride and, and self-importance. And that is, makes you absolutely ungrabbable to hell. That everything hell's right. trying to entangle you in has to do with your sense of self-importance, your desire to control things, your desire to be on a higher tier than the rest of the human race. 
when you don't care, when you think, well, I, I'm not even caring about my position. I'm thinking about God and the good that God can do, which that, that's the sense of innocence. And would rather not I lay out the plan, but would rather God lay out the plan. That, to me, allows heaven to pour in because it gets, hell no longer has any reason to live in the mind because it can't feed off of that. And heaven's just waiting to mm. rush in to that kind of humility, which humility is your ticket to heaven. Right. Well said. And they, well, that's not helping my humility. Uh, another, another, <laughs> another factor uh, that plays in, that, that's implied in what you're saying, is that heaven, as we've talked about occasionally on these shows, uh, is under pretty strict restrictions about how they interact with us. Right. They're not allowed to put new ideas into our head that just, you know, yeah. without some invitation from us or what, you know, they aren't allowed to just barge in and say, right. here's what you should be thinking, here's what you should be doing or something. Yeah. You know, they can't just kind of boss us around. And so they're under these restrictions and they're good folks. They don't, they don't want to break those laws. They're not, you know, sort of Rambo. They're, yeah. you know, they're, they're playing by the rules. And so when we have that innocence, that's an invitation to heaven, you know, it allows heaven to pour in. Yeah. So it both deals with the hell thing, as you yeah. were talking about, and also opens the heaven fountain in a different way. If you'd like to buy Innocence, we have it at $12.99 per unit on our website. Kidding, but it is worth pursuing. Thank you so much for those questions. I love the fact that people care enough to ask these specific it's things. Awesome. Whether or not they felt like we did a good job answering them, we sure had fun. It okay. was fun. So in the spirit of that, we're going to move now to our elevator pitch, where if you haven't seen this before, this is where we get put on the spot. We don't know what the, the topics are going to be, but from the audience, we've gleaned over the past week a couple of topics that we need to try to explain in a minute. Mm. Sight unseen. So let's, let's go into it right now. Okay, it's Elevator Pitch, which I already sort of explained before Elevator Pitch started, but this is where Swedenborg has all these you know, big ideas that we're trying to explain here that we happen to think are really useful in life. But the problem is there's other people in the world, and sometimes you need to try to explain this stuff to them. How do you do it? And if you really understand something, shouldn't you be able to you know, say it quickly and easily. Right. And as Einstein we says, find out. <laughs> if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't really understand That's it. That's right. So, wha and what it means. And not what it just means. what it is, not just sort of yeah. a description, but what does it mean? Like, why, why do we care? Why bother having all these mm. shows about it? So what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, mm. we haven't seen it yet. I'll go first and I'll see some uh, topic in Swedenborg pop up on the screen and I'll have a minute to convince Jonathan Rose, who just stepped onto an elevator with me. That's right. Uh, and asked, uh, presumably asked this question, why this thing, what this thing is, and why it matters. So, without further ado, let's see what our first oh boy. topic is. I think you're going first, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so here it is. Okay, the Trinity. Let's oh go. So we're here, we're here in this elevator, and I'm here with you, but am I really with all of you? Because I know that through your work, you've done a lot of work on the first floor. You run that whole company there, and really the people that are in the positions that they're in, the way they're affecting the world, the change you brought out, isn't that part of you down there? So there's more to you than just your body. There's your actions and what you've done. And am I really here with all of you? Because I don't want to freak you out, but if you had a heart attack right now, your body would go, but you would still be somewhere. Your spirit would still be off living some other mm. life. So isn't there more to you than just this you here? <laughs> 
so it is not just with us people, but with the person we're patterned after, with God. That there is God's body, so to speak, which this is the human God. That we can, I couldn't just go after your actions. I talked to those people down there. I wouldn't really know that it's you. There's the soul, but how do I access that? There's your, but this is the body part of you. So God has actions, a body, and a soul. And this, I hope you liked it. <laughs> it was awesome. I was getting close. It was very good. Okay, bye. See you. I'll explain the rest later. <laughs> hope we catch up sometime. It's <laughs> very good. Wow. Whew. So, so that Trinity, was really good. right? Yeah, really, really good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I really love that, and I love Swedenborg's point that if I'm trying to contact someone else's spirit. I don't just have a seance. If mm. I'm trying to contact your spirit, yeah. I don't I don't look for your spirit. Yeah. I look for your body. That's right. And so the reason that how Jesus has all of the godhead bodily inside him yeah. is like hey you go through Jesus because right. that is the way the truth and life, you know. Well that's like that's why he's so adamant about the Lord being the, oh my gosh this is the Lord is about the Trinity. We were just saying that's that. Right. that the, that's right. That's right. He what the, he's he's making his elevator pitch for the importance of God as one. That's it. In sh- that short little book. Yeah. Wow. I, I promise that we okay. We we didn't set that up. Okay. All right. Okay. No, okay. We had no idea. Believe us we or don't not. We know what's happening. Either way, like and subscribe. Okay. Okay. So now we've done that. <laughs> okay. So now I've stepped onto an elevator. Dr. Jonathan Rose is going to okay. try to convince me of something and its importance. And the thing is going to be how to explain Swedenborg's theology. <laughs> oh, good, an oh, easy just one. Just the whole theology. Swedenborg's okay. theology to someone in sixty seconds. Okay. So I'll start out by asking, hey. um, so Swedenborg, how would you explain his theology in 60 seconds? Here we go. Whoa. Swedenborg has a remarkably holistic theology that kind of one size fits all. It's like a hologram. Okay. How each piece of a hologram holds the whole image in it. And so in some ways, you know the ancient idea of macrocosm and microcosm that we in some way reflect the big picture. Swedenborg even says that, that we have our own kind of heaven and hell within us. We have our own physical world here in the body. And so in a certain way, we reflect the universe and the universe reflects us. Everything is about humanness. So God is human and what is human is love and truth, love and understanding. So the main thing that God is trying to build in us over this gradual time of what it is to be human is to build that love and that truth deepen us in our understanding so that we become more and more into the image and likeness of God and then go to heaven where we're with other humans. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Nice nice talking. I got to watch the clock. Yeah, well more. these were just, these oh, were two yeah, dense really, ones. Really, really that tough, was awesome man. though. I love God. I love the idea that you want to say explain Swedenborg's theology, which is this weird thing from this 18th century scientist and theologian. Book, 35 these books, books that you don't even can't even find in your library. Explain the theology and right away you can say, you know the thing you're wearing right now? <laughs> That's the summary of of the theology. Mm. It's not Swedenborg's theology, it's the view of life and that that is teaching you what it is that the whole is about because the author of it all makes this handy table of contents and everything it's oh, great i'm sold nice. let's do it good thank you everybody Whew, for, the, for the for those great topics and we, we look forward to continuing to do those as we go as good practice because even if you don't care about explaining at thanksgiving why you watch shows about swedenborg <laughs> on the internet having to 
condense it and really get it down to something that you don't just know as words, but as an, uh, a three-dimensional object right. in your mind. Useful exercise. Anytime. Very useful. Go ahead, make yourself e a pitch. Even, even failing is good, oh, right? Oh, man, failing is the best. It's so good. As you've all just seen a couple of I'll times. I'll think all tomorrow right. what okay. I should have said. <laughs> so, well, all right. So, that said, we really appreciate eight you guys taking the time to watch the program absolutely and and this don't stop watching that we've got more and more stuff coming out all the time enjoy our new short clips that are coming out two days a week this thursday you'll be seeing our new show news from heaven we'll have another episode we hope you take the time that's a deep dive an annotated dive into swedenborg's works we try to piece out how to figure out life Very in the fun. mind uh, from that and you get to see me try to draw stuff which i guess is Silly. That's entertaining. It's, it's, uh, it's a noble effort, a noble endeavor and failure. Uh, if you enjoyed this program right here, please like and subscribe. Again, we say this stuff. It may seem annoying, but it's really the opposite of annoying. It's uh, unknowing to us because it helps <laughs> our uh, YouTube appreciate us and gets us out there. Yeah. And if you are subscribed, please click that little bell because that gives you notifications. Do you want to tell them a little bit about Patreon? Sure. Um, we're a nonprofit. And we want to get this information out there as broadly as we possibly can uh, so that people have, from all over the world have access to it. Yeah. And so what helps the machinery run is those who feel called to and are able to, to give something to help us along yeah. kind of thing. And Patreon is one of the handiest ways to do that, right. where it's just a small monthly, I'm a Patreon you know, patron myself right. uh, for the show, where you just give us a small amount monthly Five dollars a month, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it really yeah. helps us out. And we give you behind-the-scenes content that may not improve your spiritual life particularly because we put the good stuff into the show, but it gives you a little access to what's going on, and it's just a fun thing that we share with you by way of a thank you for your helping us out on Patreon. A thanks to us, for, from us to you for, for your support. Yeah. And if you're done supporting that and you want something else to support, this is not a, partic a project directly of the Swedenborg Foundation. No, that's right. But our very own Chelsea Odner is on a quest right now to make an album of Swedenborgian music. So she's on Kickstarter. Kind of a cool, cool project. Yeah, yeah. yes. It's, it's music to help it's with a like there's a spiritual life. Or something. Exactly. Go to Kickstarter, search Chelsea Odner. And if you're moved to make a pledge, it's the last week of her Kickstarter, so now's a great time to do it. O-D-H-N-E-R. That's right, that's right. Okay. Hey, great hanging out with you. That was so fun, Curtis. I appreciate uh, really enjoyed it. you giving your time. And it was great to pick your... I was so glad you had this, because if it was just me doing the four doctrines, I would... I think I know what they are, so it's just <laughs> awesome to have... Go to the source sure. and get it uh, next Monday. We're going to be back here with a special panel show where we're doing our spiritual questions answered. Where nice. if you if you didn't like the the question segment in this show, you're in trouble because we're going to really give you it's all a, a chance to hour of that. Ask what's <laughs> on your mind, and we'll get it back to you. And then after that, we'll be back and continue our our journey through all these books. Hope you guys Ooh, have a yeah, great. Oh yeah, that's going to be fun. There's some good good ones coming up ahead. That's right. And yes, this show wasn't live live because it was a holiday. We'll be live again next Monday and the ones following. So we'll see you then. Have a great week in between. Stay well, everybody. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>